welcome to the Twin Peaks Vlogcasting, a branch of the Drunk Monkeys world. My name is Colleen Carney Hefner. I am editor in chief of Drunk Monkeys. Chris Sorry, I'm so distracted <laughs> by, by our special guest turning into a bizarre secret image uh, on our Zoom window. <laughs> my, name, my name is Chris Pruitt. The managing editor at Drunk Monkeys. Matt Guerrero, uh, founding editor of Drunk Monkeys and producer of this podcast. And we have a special guest this week. We are speaking with Hannah Cohen. She is the uh, EIC of Cotton Xenomorph. Yeah. Uh, she is the author of Bad Anatomy, a chapbook that you can get through Glass Poetry Press. I will tweet the link so you can buy that. Her biggest Twin Peaks related dream is to have Kyle McLaughlin read one of her poems. Thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. I'm so psyched. I have been ready for this my whole life. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, like, literally, I was like, I've got to wait for these three people to come to me in a dream. <laughs> a la, you know, man from other police style, just like, Hannah's a palindrome, too, so it's like easy. Oh, yeah. That's very Luciana. <laughs> you know how everyone always is cop Kafka-esque. I'm just going to Lynchian. All right. So today we're going to be discussing Twin Peaks Season 2, Episode 2, Coma. And I know that between me and the guys, we have been dreading and looking forward to this episode for a very, very long time. Yeah. First episode. So I, I mean, finally be. <laughs> there's plenty I'm dreading talking about. It wasn't this. <laughs> I was dreading watching it a little bit. But <laughs> yeah. I literally yeah. just was watching it like, you know, an hour ago and messaging Colleen some things. And it's it's kind of funny rewatching it now. Um, yeah. In this day and age, especially with, I guess we'll get to it later in the episode. Yeah. A certain character who I love very much. So um, if you haven't joined us before, we are very spoiler light podcast so that we talk about each episode scene by scene. We don't really talk much about anything in the future in case you're watching along and you've never watched it before. Um, real quickly, we work on a journal called Drunk Monkeys. Uh, you can follow us at Drunk Monkeys Web on Twitter. You can follow us at TP Logcasting on Twitter for this specific podcast. Um, DrunkMonkeys.us is our URL and we are closed for right submissions by the time you hear this. However, we are running our special November edition, which is sci-fi and fantasy, and we are keeping those submissions open until the end of September. So go right ahead and visit our socials, send us some good work, uh, and that would be really rad. And so we're going to just jump in now and talk about the episode. But let's do it. All right. So we're going to open up on the Great Northern. And we're just gonna jump into some more Tibet chat. Oh God! <laughs> my my first my first note for this that I wrote down on this watch through was Albert hyphen racist question mark. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's, he's a sour dude in general, so it's hard to know how targeted it is. <laughs> well, it's so funny watching because I love Miguel Ferrer. He was on a show called Crossing Jordan that I absolutely adore, and I don't know. if I guess yeah. you're nodding your head, so you know. Yes, yeah. love that show. show. And it's so funny, like comparing those two characters, because I'm kind of like, hmm, come on, Miguel, you ain't, you ain't slick. <laughs> like, <I guess laughs> well, 
and his performance is really great as this character in the various changes and moods this character goes through and particularly this character has a lot of stuff going on in the return season way later and i i'm always just so interested in his uh in his appearances in this show generally and in this scene not really not really doing it for me here yeah (laughs) but you know, the whole content of the scene is a little iffy, so that's part of the issue, I think. <laughs> My note says Tibet chat with Coop as barbershop quartet yeah. quietly yeah. hums and smokes in the background. <laughs> it's like, mm, which is, I mean, cute, I guess. I don't know. I don't have much to say about Tibet chat. You, I don't know who they are. Can you imagine, like, they were just passing by and David Lynch just like, come on. Come here, we need you. There's so like, much of that stuff in the Great Northern. Like, there's always these yeah. weird themed background elements that mm-hmm. go without any form of explanation or context. There's also like two like hunter guys in full uh-huh. like yeah. almost like like head to toe camo situation like yeah, on a side table know. nearby. Yeah, Lots like, of matching. <laughs> I have to say, the one time I was at Fritz's work and there was a barbershop court there. <laughs> Because, like, it was, like, Dapper Day or something. <laughs> and um, they were singing Here Comes the Hot Stepper by Heidi Kaimoni. And I was so into it. I was like, yeah. And I was singing along, and they were, like, looking at me like, yeah, girl. And I was just, like, by myself in the lobby, like, <laughs> like a good barbershop quartet. Whatever. It's fine. Um, not really too much to say about this scene. I don't care much about the Tibet chat, as we've spoken about before on the show. However, it does pan over to a Japanese man looking at them. But also they reveal something is going on. Um, Chris, do you wanna talk about this reveal that they mentioned? Uh, Are we talking about Coop's old partner? Yeah. It's it's mostly like a catch up exposition scene from the prior like super long season opener episode. But the one piece of info that gets dropped is Albert's like, Oh, uh, how are you doing, man? And Coop's like, you don't like ask nice questions. What's up with that? And he's like, well, you just got shot. And Coop's like, come on, you wouldn't ask somebody who got shot if they were doing okay. And he's like, you're right. I'm worried about something different. I'm worried about your old partner got out of, and he uses like a kind of super derogatory term about an insane asylum or something. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's about all we get for it now. But um, we get our very first Coopies phone the coop, which yeah, 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 and later, like way later on, but um, <laughs> but yeah, it, this is a one Wyndham Earl, and will we be meeting him soon? Sure, is it gonna be great? No, no, but that's fine, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> there, yeah. there's some good bits that come out of the Wyndham Earl saga, not a yeah. lot of it, but yeah. some, <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, we also have some. Uh, vague chat about, you know, Renette Wake from her and uh, there was a bunch of junking Chuck's stomach contents, like whatever. <laughs> and uh, some like Moby Dick jokes. It's just uh, Albert's just not a nice person in this scene. He's he's very fat phobic. Whatever. I, I, you, know. you can't help but like Albert, especially because he does have those, those moments, you know, that you've kind of come to understand that he, he you know he does care about cooper and 
you know, but I, I, I definitely think in the morning, like when, when Cooper's talking about the Tibetan Buddhism and I took a class on Tibetan Buddhism in college. So like, I kind of remembered some of the things he was talking about, but I imagine like being with this barber shop right behind you. And like, you're just trying to like get your day started and explain that, Hey, remember that partner you had, um, kind of, you know, just disappeared and now he's like out, you know, cash, you know, who knows? So, <laughs> yeah. Something that really struck me in this scene that I, I think about Albert sometimes is a lot of David Lynch's dialogue is really, really stilted in a way that's different from the stilting that happens on normal television shows yeah. and also tends to be performed at a slower, more, yeah. uh, more methodical pace. Albert feels like a character lifted from a regular television show into yeah. Twin Peaks the way his cadence and his delivery is. He feels like an evil Gilmore Girls character or something <laughs> who's been transported into Twin Peaks. And Wait, there, there aren't evil characters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, the, there's like a, it's, yeah. it's more whimsical in Gilmore Girls. But here it's like, he's very like rapid firing jokes and stuff like that. And the other characters almost sort of don't know how to react to him, mm -hmm. both because of his attitude and because he seems like he's from a different show. And this is yeah. something consistent yeah. in his presentation as a character that I'm sure that it's intentional. I don't know what it means other than that it's an interesting element of his presence in the show. He's great. What's up with the Japanese guy? Are we gonna figure that out? We'll see. Not this episode, Not today. Thank God. <laughs> we don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah, thank God. We dodged that bullet one more day. <laughs> who, does, who doesn't just eavesdrop? Poop. like I would too whatever okay yeah. so now we're gonna go over to I love this scene so I'm very psyched yes. about it uh we're gonna go over I, I literally wrote oh no this scene <laughs> oh I love it but I it mean is I did too but oh I no lots about this scene too <laughs> yeah lots to talk about here so we go over to Donna who's taking over for uh Laura's Meals on Wheels Oof. or whatever um so she's just dutifully delivering the meals on wheels. And um, she comes to an old woman's house, Mrs. Tremont. In this iteration of the show, she's Mrs. Tremont. We'll see her again later. Mm -hmm. Woman, she's in bed and there's a creepy kid in the corner. Because <laughs> he's creepy or is he creepy because he's actually David Lynch's son? A little yeah. bit both. Um, he, that's literally his son? That's his son. I didn't oh, okay. have children. Well, I, I knew he had children. I didn't know that was his son, which is really funny because I wrote he looks like a and he looks and sounds like a tiny David Lynch. Because in Fire Walk with Me, it's not it, it, it's right. a character, but it's not played by it's a different kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whole bunch of stuff there. We'll get to that. Actually, well, they, tonight, they even dress him up like David Lynch when he was directing. Right. So the fact that he even yeah. has like the kind of like open, kind of wide eyes and like the shock blonde hair. I was thinking like and, strong um, eraser head vibes there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, this, The hairstyle, the way the way they gelled his hair up, so he has the same stupid hair. Like it's just incredible. <laughs> this scene um actually reminds me a lot of eraser head for several reasons. Mm. Yes. But um, but yeah, that is David Lynch's son. Which and actually, it's funny because Aiden was watching a few minutes of this with me, and then he went away. But then he was like, "You guys gonna do the the movie?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Yeah." So maybe we can get Aiden. To Please have Aiden be the guest when we do Firewalk with me. Him, him staying for a few minutes is very much a 
a page out of my teen teen book, like out of my teen years. He actually hung out with me later on in the night, but he was like, I go do things. Isn't 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 Aiden on record being like, I don't see why people don't understand Firewalk with me. Yeah. I understood it perfectly fine. We watched it a few years <laughs> so ago. We need, the, like, we need the experts make to be on to yeah. <laughs> Why don't you why don't you tell us, Aiden? <laughs> God love him. Okay. So um so this is funny because she gives Mrs. Tremont the food and she starts coughing. And I'm like, this is so gross, but also like in the COVID age, I'm also like, yeah. yes, I would yeah. But a mask the little too relevant with her being all up in bed and everything. <laughs> Just like wow. Uh, it's a big 2020 mood. Um and, and if this is just not at all disturbing. Now the boy in the corner, he says to Donna, sometimes th- things can happen just like this and snaps. And she's just like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, it's, and the reason the scene reminds me of a razor head besides this weird jilted kind of way of speaking that is completely like the dinner scene in a razor head where they're all saying bizarre things that make really no sense. It, there's a lot of electricity electrical sound editing happening mm-hmm. weird bizarre like hum that makes the scene really unsettling even like I mean it's unsettling to begin with even if it was just like oh she's an old lady and she's sick that's kind of it's just a weird thing but uh it really amps up the creep and uh when we're finished talking about the scene I want to say something but we can keep going for now so um if anyone else wants to take over I feel like I'm talking a lot yeah well I I was going to say the electrical thing is something where it kind of the spoiler light nature of the podcast kind of frustrates me because it ties into a lot of stuff uh, past and future on the show that doesn't really come into much clarity until like a lot later. It just sounds creepy here. And you think about it like, oh, yeah, I hear that. It sounds creepy. And it's like it's really kind of a buried plot element that, you know, doesn't get teased out until way, way later. So the sound design Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Jump in anytime. Please talk over me. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, you know, may I have some, sir, podcast? <laughs> you can have a little podcast as a treat. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are on the same way. No, but I was going to say the sound design is almost like its own character in the series, both in the original and the return and Fire Walk With Me. Because, you know, you just don't, like, I hate to be like one of those, like, oh my god tv in the 90s was so much better than it is now but like you really don't hear like that level of nuance i mean i guess maybe some hbo shows have a pretty good job of like you know music and sound editing and mixing but like every time i watch this series i'm just like blown away by like how different the sounds are and what they mean and it's not just like the classic creepy sound you know like like, a weird piano yeah (laughs) something spooky is happening (laughs) um yeah, I do like that. I remember when this return happened, Meredith Borders tweeted, mm-hmm. I can't believe episode two of season three was something I just watched on TV. And I was like, I, I know wild, <laughs> wild stuff. Anyway, um, I totally agree. The sound edit, and we know Lynch is just good at that. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so the kid snaps and Donna's just like, hey, uh, <laughs> the woman starts screaming about creamed corn, which I mean, really that's a mood too. <laughs> <laughs> screaming about creamed yeah. corn, um, and she's like, "I wrote creamed corn. How dare you, you goddamn bitch!" <laughs> um, 
Yeah. And she so never would have ever brought her cream well, corn. <laughs> now, like the cream corn, of course, is going to come back, but this is kind of neat because she says, do you see that cream corn? And Donna's like, yeah. And then she's like, do you see that cream corn? I asked for no cream corn. And she's like, oh, no. In the kid's hands, yeah. not dripping out or anything. Yeah, yeah, like, it's just hey. cupped in there. And then there's this exchange where she goes, "My grandson is studying magic," and Donna goes, "That's nice." <laughs> and then he's staring at Donna, and I'm like, "Yeah, the only magic he's trying is like the ability to see through her shirt." He's just yeah. <laughs> agog at Donna, and she's just like, "Oh my god, it's bad." Jeez, Donna. Um, Every time she gets in these situations, I'm just like, "Girl, get out." Stay home. Yeah. You're bad at this. Also, I want to note somewhere in that mess of complaining about the cream corn, she says, they used to bring me hospital food, which yeah. we talked a lot about the hospital <laughs> yeah, in the prior episode. It was <laughs> actually Panera bread. <laughs> Dude, I love Panera. I would mess with Oh, me too. Bread. I worked there. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, cream corn is disgusting. Uh, anyway, this is a very head... And, and the thing about the scene is it keeps getting heavier and heavier. And she, and the woman asks her, did you, did you visit Mr. Smith? He's a friend of Laura's that lives next door. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't really leave his house. And then the kid in the corner, I thought he was talking backwards, but then I rewound it. I was like, oh, he's actually speaking French. And he, what he says is, I have a lonely soul in French. Kind of uh, interesting. So Donna's like, well, I'm going to go. Yeah. Can you imagine David Lynch on the set directing his own child who has been <laughs> deliberately dressed up to like look like him and go, all right, champ, now in French, champ. I'm going to need you to say, you know what I'm saying? Of course he calls yes. kid champ. Do like, there's no way to Here's a muzzy tape so you understand how to speak <laughs> Love Muzzy. Phonics, but for Muzzy, Muzzy is canon in between peaks universe. Um, and it's actually funny too because Laura, because uh, Donna leaves, and and the kid says in a perfect David Lynch way, she seemed like a very nice girl. Yeah. <laughs> what I wanted to say about this scene, actually, and I'm sorry, I do feel like I'm talking too much. I'm apologize. no. But it's a podcast. Like, <laughs> you're supposed to talk. You have a Facebook uh, podcasting going. <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Um, uh, this scene, like, it's the, the tension builds, like, the sound builds, the heavy feeling builds, the mood builds. And I don't know if anyone has ever had, like, a paranormal experience in this group. I've had some that I can't really explain. But there has always been that real heavy mood that builds that you're like... And then this kind of buzzing, like, I mean, for me, like, I'm not like a super, like, there's ghosts everywhere, like, but, um, but I had, had experiences that very much, like, don't make sense normally, and it's just, like, I don't know, and I always had that accompanying very heavy electric buzz, so I was just like, oh, cool, <laughs> bad shit it has been happening, I guess, um, it reminds me of when I have, uh, when his, I have an anxiety disorder and when it manifests in a weird dream, that like an anxiety dream, it always feels like one of these kinds of David Lynch movies. Yes. Like, yeah. it, it was part of what drew me to his work initially was because I felt this like strong connection with like, I recognize this feeling. Like, not that I like this feeling, but it felt like some way of teasing it out and like talking about it and seeing it and examining it. So 
yeah, that's uh, that's what I usually relate it to when I see these kinds of scenes in this work. Yeah, it's like that, that hyper awareness of everything in the room, including just the electricity that is always yeah. there, mm-hmm. but you're not really noticing it. And when you have that anxiety moment, it's there because it's there. It's yeah. Like yeah. you're focusing hyper uh, aware on everything. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, just, and it, it, watching that scene puts me back to those moments. And uh, maybe I'll tweet about them on the account because, like, I don't want to chat about them right now, but, but they, bizarre moments that it's just like oh i hate that feeling and i don't want it anymore so luckily the scene ends <laughs> <laughs> uh there's an afghan in the back of the scene that like every person had in the 80s and i really want it so i'm gonna find a picture of that tweet that out maybe someone will buy it for me maybe uh, it's on that weird twin peaks prop blog oh my god that, uh, i know that it's found that one time <laughs> that ruled anyway and um, the Twin Peaks memorabilia blog person. Yeah. I feel like that was my true calling, and I just <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a hot dog platter at uh, at Shelley's house, and Fritz found a blog post about it. He was just like, "Look at this!" It had like who made it, everything. We talked about it a few episodes back. It really yeah, it was, it was so funny because Colleen was like, "What is up with this dish?" And then it's like, <laughs> turns out somebody knew exactly what was up with that dish and where you could get it and how much it cost. And uh, so weird. Uh, Donna goes over to this uh, to Mr. Smith's. I know Hannah is a huge fan of his character, and I'm upset that he's not really in the episode all that much because I know she probably wanted to chat about build it. Up yeah, definitely. You can't just jump into what his deal is. So I mean, you, you um, get like a little bit of like a a, a finger in the blind. Yeah, situation he peeks out at her. Yeah. I don't really relate to that because that's me like looking out my door to see if DoorDash is. <laughs> Yeah, also a strong, also a strong pandemic mood. Yeah, lots of pandemic <laughs> vibes happening in this episode. He had the right idea, you know, just for different uh, reasons. But yeah, he had the right yeah. Idea. <laughs> just, just leave the food at the door. No contact, please. <laughs> um, I wrote Donna, go home. This is bad. So anyway, we're gonna move now. Okay, she she leaves a note on his doorstep. Yeah. And it's because this is within the same episode. It's not a spoiler to say he gets the note. We There's evidence of that later. But I don't know how he, if he really doesn't leave his house and nobody else is coming in and out of there, I don't know how he got this note because she writes down the tiniest sticky ever and puts it on the ground. And like okay. when he peeks out at her, there's it's on the ground against the door. So I, I mean, I, I'm sure he does open his door at some point, but they're like, the whole thing is he never opens his door. He never goes outside. And There's she puts this note. Black Lodge portal where it's just like. <laughs> it just zooped into inside of the house or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's so, it's such a weird, like little, like, we're, okay. The only time he ever opened his door was to get this note. The There's no time. way he could have known it was there. <laughs> Maybe he has like a, a stick. With like a paper clip, <laughs> like it's like one of those grabby, yeah, yeah like a grabby, just like grabby um, shark. Yeah. Another another point before we move forward because this doesn't happen again. It's not important at all, but I just want to mention it. They uh, when she comes into the scene with Mrs. Tremont originally, she thinks she's taking over Laura's route, and mm-hmm. this keeps happening on the show, and it will continue to happen. Do they keep referring it? to to it as the meals on wheels yes. <laughs> always like the capital the at the beginning in the way that they say it and it's like <laughs> why <laughs> i don't know it's such a weird small thing but every character who, meals on wheels yeah. 
you know, we, I've actually, we, I delivered meals on wheels on Christmas several years ago with my dad and just like the number of times you have to like actually walk into the house and just like deliver these, you know, pre-packaged meals. Like that looked way nicer than what we delivered, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, no. Those folks would have been happy to have the cream corn. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I specifically <laughs> asked for cream corn. Thank you. <laughs> Freaking coastal elites, am I right? Right? Uh, Okay, so we're going to move on. Um, This scene is weird. So, oh, go ahead. No, jump in. Please jump in at any time. I don't. There's no format. (laughs) Yeah, we truly do not. And we had Sarah Sarah Nichols on a few episodes ago, and she was just like, Sarah, say something. I love her so much. Anyway, um, but yeah, we're going to move over to uh, Coop and Harry visiting. Oh, did Hannah get to say the thing she was going to cut in? Yeah, were you going to say something? It's like the Ikea part of the episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. So first of all, classic fucking cop move to be like, hey, this girl isn't even all the way out of her coma. And they're like, cool, let's go harass her with drawings of the people who probably kidnapped and abused her. Like, great. Ooh, too relevant now. Yeah. Like, right. And also, like, like we don't want to upset you, but here's like some severely upsetting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, this um, <laughs> like they even make a point as they walk in of being like, oh yeah, she's not really talking yet. Like, or or rather they don't, they uh Coop talks about it with Albert before they go at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like she's not even talking yet, she's still in shock. So it's like he knows this is the state she's in. He's still like yeah, okay, let's go, like, harass the crap out of her. Can't right harass now. her. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Poor Renette. Um, yeah, there's this whole, like, like, fucking bumbling scene where they can't figure out how to get... So funny. <laughs> like, to, to go down. Like, usually you sit on it and there's a lever and it just goes down, but they're like... It does add, like, a level of... Because I always think about, you know, the very first episode with, like, just that who was the, the extra guy who the like coroner yeah, yeah. where they're like picking the thing out of the girl's yeah. fingernail and, yeah and, like, <laughs> the light going on Lights and off like flicking. it adds a level of like authenticity and just like goofiness because you know this is a horrible event that happened to Ronette and you know Cooper and you know Truman are kind of I hate to say bumbling but you know they're bumbling along and it just kind of makes it a little bit more not I don't want to say funny but just like goofy and like lighter yeah. before the before the you know scene moves forward but it's just yeah. like thinking like guys it's a stool like you guys are cops like no wonder i wrote just stay standing yeah you know this is a quick conversation you don't have to say it doesn't always have to be about your comfort like come on and like, like they're making like this girl is sitting here like near comatose still on the bed they're making all this noise like dragging these stools around it's like really loud like harry's like reading off the bottom of the label it's it's really good it's what um it's one of those things that keeps this show from becoming a police procedural even when it kind of is a police procedural you know like it's ultimately because i watched this show like like, Uh, it seems semi-competent he's like they literally plucked him out of law and order episode and just put him 
Right. Yeah. I, yeah. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point I was missing earlier is that the reason he seems a little different is because he seems like a cop on a TV show yeah. and none of these other guys do. And it, I, maybe it's probably also not a coincidence that he's also like, he's the only competent guy. And also he's a huge fucking asshole. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> probably, not a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Some commentary. Uh, okay. So, okay. So yeah, this is where they're like, okay, so we're going to show you some sketches. And um, we don't want to upset you, but (laughs) that horrifically abused you. And they show her, like, what is hands down the worst sketch of Leo. (laughs) Yeah, I I, at first, I was having a hard time even realizing who they were supposed to be showing her in the first drawing. I was like, who is this again? (laughs) I'm like, that's not all right. (laughs) Everyone expected this point. Let's just show her a picture of a guy. Like, here's the thing, like, it could have been Leo, and she still would have said no, because yeah. <laughs> it doesn't like look him. like him. Uh, uh, she's just like, no. a giant circle and just make it James' forehead. <laughs> hey, James's forehead has gone through some legit revision in the second season. I will not speak poorly of his forehead. His forehead has gone through revision called bangs. <laughs> I don't know Thank- if it can trust you, Chris, because of that James Hurley background. It's so good. <laughs> um, all right. And so, yeah, okay. But then she, she, they show her uh, Bob and start saying like, oh, tr- tr-. and I tried to put the closed captioning on because I couldn't figure out if she was saying train or if she was just saying and it sounded like train. Of course, I think that's what she was trying to say. The point is that she's trying to say train, but she really yeah, just kind of they like, went tri- with that. Tri- but of course, they're like, they're like, I had subtitles on too, and it's like trip, trip, train, trip, 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 yeah. And I'm like, okay, so like you didn't want to upset her, but now she's like, now she's like flailing. <laughs> like the nurse runs in, who probably should have been there in the first place. Like. Yeah, so, so that's so that's pretty much there. Like, oh, Bob is is the bad guy here. Um, and, and then we go to, <laughs> this is where I truly wish that we were still doing these in person because I was trying to bring, like, I brought some cherry pie, I brought some free baguette butter sandwiches, and I should have definitely brought us all a smoked cheese pig Incredible. had we been in, in person, but, uh, we're going to go right to Ben and Jerry and as- God and Colleen knows that I kind of had like an awakening because I watched West Side Story for the very mm-hmm. first time a few weeks ago and I, when I put the dots together that that was Ben Horn Richard Beamer Ben Horn I'm like wait a minute he's going from singing with Natalie Wood in this musical to like being this awful father and like sketching as a businessman and I'm like I can kind of see it like I can see his like his you know the visual resemblance like he definitely has aged a little bit but it's just so funny that Lynch takes these actors that are kind of known for doing one type of like thing like especially if it's like kind of cheesy and then just really revamp like and I guess that's what actors are supposed to do right I don't know I'm not an actor I'm a Hollywood elite you know <laughs> well he, yeah. he- he particularly goes for it in that role too. Yeah. I mean, he's he's always consistently one of the most entertaining elements of the episode, even though you and you also hate him. It's like yeah, I love seeing him on camera because like he's doing something interesting or funny or delivering his lines in a unique way. But also, I hate that guy. <laughs> like, he <Yeah>. sucks. <laughs> he looks so, like deplorable and just like not a good person. But at the same time, you're like, hmm, 
yeah like that whole scene is just god just i don't know i, I want ben's outfits uh jerry's yeah. outfit. jerry has great outfits um, Dr. Jacoby's in that movie too, so it's like, yeah. Wait. It's like no. David Lynch. Like, David Lynch watched West Side Story and he was like, I got it. <laughs> so I, I will say, everybody, it, it's known on this podcast that at this point that I like talking about the props Jerry had, or yeah, that Jerry has in each scene because yep. he always has a prop. So mm-hmm. of course, Colleen already got that with the smoked pig in this scene, but um, it, it, it of course opens with him just fiddling with some bullshit like he's always he's never just standing still he's always like has some fucking thing he's playing with oh i love this scene because i i love they're not great people but i love ben and jerry together there it's always something the the dynamic is really good i also sorry hannah go ahead no i said i love ben and jerry's too they make such a good ice cream yeah it's great everything about it it's multifaceted it's a multifaceted statement to say i love ben and jerry um, Colleen is a pretty vocal opponent of this like real estate scam subplot that permeates a lot of the middle part of the early series. But I will say I actually like this scene because I like a, this scene. They, they do a good job of both like sort of summarizing what's happened, where they're at, and also having it be more about the sort of character chemistry of Ben and Jerry without it being like yeah, let's very- let's dive into the dumb specifics of what's going on with this. It, really lays out the stakes and just lets them be the characters that I they think are. it's just, yeah, because it's them too. And also they just have such great like comedic chemistry with each mm-hmm. other. Like I just, you know, it's like, well, I'm a hundred percent certain we're unsure. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hundred percent certain we're unsure. Even the opening line of this scene where he's like, okay, I have the smoked cheese pig and these ledgers and we have to burn something and it's not going to be my smoked cheese pig. So what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, all right, I know what's going on here. Yeah, and it's just, again, like I know the subplot throughout the series with like the mill and like kind of the business blah, blah stuff. Like I'm, I'm not like into business, like generally like business thriller sort of like, I don't know, business number stats. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a big fan of the Pelican Brief, huh? Right. <laughs> is that John Gresham? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Uh, that's the first one that came to my mind. I think the issue is when they make it smaller, like with the ledgers, because that is such a huge part of kind of what the dupe was, especially with Catherine. Um, I just think it's better when they bring it down to like a like make it smaller and just yeah. have it be one thing representative. Because when they're talking, like even in the, like the first two episodes of the series, I'm just like, can we get out? Like just strap me to a log yeah. and just like chop me through the log. Yeah. I don't care about the male yeah. politics. And, and, and again, when it works, it's when it's about two characters and how they interact yeah. with each other. Like for example, when it's Josie and Catherine in some battle of yes. wills that you don't even really understand the full shape of until after the mill is gone and so forth like there's there's lots of interesting stuff there in terms of how it bounces characters off of each other but in terms of when they're like talking about the specifics of where Catherine's hiding with the cooked ledger or whatever it's like i I don't give a shit about this nobody does like uh, was lynch trying to appeal to the yuppies for that one like (laughs) it, it really feels like um and i'll i'll say this is kind of like a vague memory from when I went burned through uh, that book he put out the other year, Room to Dream, um, is 
it really felt like there was some pressure to try to make this both a David Lynch art project and to make this a television series that adults mm -hmm. who have lives will watch, you know? And so- <laughs> watching Twin Peaks if yeah. they have lives. Yeah, so there's this real element of like, uh, I don't know, some of them do business, you didn't throw <laughs> that in there, you know? <laughs> like, or especially like the cop procedurals, like, right. you know, having, you know, and again, I do like Albert's character, but I think they, you know, having to have someone like his type of character, like certain, scenes like again with the questioning it's just kind of like I guess you know trying to like fit in and I still think Twin Peaks is a great like subversion of the whole cop right. show like even though as much as I hate cops I'm just like but sure Cooper's different right, right. <laughs> well it, it feels like not real, so it's okay right <laughs> it, it feels like he both wants it to be an interesting subversion and a good example of that kind of thing at the same time and when it works he succeeds and when it doesn't those elements, it tends to be because those elements feel like out of balance with each other, or at least that's how I feel about it. Um, I, I don't think there's anything more we really need to say about this scene, except that I, I love the way it ends where they decide instead of burning anything, they're gonna roast some marshmallows on the fire. And, and so Ben goes to get them and Jerry says with, in frankly, inappropriate level of enthusiasm. Ben, where are those hickory sticks? Which in my headcanon obsession with Jerry's prop like fixation is like, yes, I have another thing to mess with in the next scene when you're shooting. Yeah. Well, they're so childish and you really think yeah. about both Ben and Jerry's care. I'm sorry, every time I think of Ben and Jerry's, I'm just like, mm, ice cream. But like, mm. every time you think about especially Jerry and Ben, just like kind of almost how like childish they are yeah. compared to like the actual teen slash children on the show. And sure. it kind of heightens that, you know, just because he's a businessman, you know, it doesn't mean that he can't be a complete idiot with his baby. Birth. Like older, younger, I can't remember, is Ben... Is Jerry younger or older? I think Jerry's the younger one. Okay, that makes sense. I, yeah. Yeah, but but I, I agree with you that in, there's this scene coming up in a future episode that's really truly bizarre between the two of them um, where I think this comes out a lot, but I don't think we can really talk about it yet. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> but I think that's a great point that you introduced that they're like, they're kind of more kids than the actual kids that are on the show. Gosh, yeah. Um, did we just, did we mention when I glitched out what they were actually talking about? It's just the two ledgers. One's the real one, one's the not yeah, real one. Yeah, I guess we should say that for, okay, yeah. so one of the ledgers is cooked, one of them isn't. There's certain advantages to them having the cooked ledger oh, because it, it demonstrates that the uh, mill is more profitable and therefore makes their property value higher. Uh, but then there's also the fact that the real one is going to put them less in a hole if somebody figures out that, you know, the other one has been tampered with. So they're trying to decide between which one is more advantageous to them to keep around. And it seems for the moment that they decide to hang on to both of them just in case. Make some s'mores, whatever. It's yeah. cool. This won't right. be a problem at all. All right. So now I want to, I want to talk, we move to Andy, the man <laughs> who can shoot with perfect precision oh my the bad God. guy in in um, the heat of the moment unable to competently tape a sign <laughs> to a door that <laughs> says have you seen this man he has tape in his hair he has it all wrapped around him and i'm just like 
This was the hero of the Jacques, <laughs> of the Jacques, like, you know, like, takedown. And he's just like, <laughs> he's like, he's kneeling on the floor. Like, I really, like, usually those types of characters, like, he's definitely played up as, like, a very much, like, I don't know, like, slap, like, obviously slapstick, sort of goofy, very much, like, early 20s movie kind of character with, like, the physical gimmicks um but i think it works really well and just again like i i've always just loved the relationship between andy and lucy you know it's I, so good. andy's so pure as we will get to eventually right but yeah he, he's got that kind of like andy griffith show like uh like bumbling but well-intentioned <laughs> sorry a cat is dancing on zoom video oh, right now it's very good this is, this is mikey i did not name him after mike um <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Yeah. <laughs> He's joining me because he was trying to open some cabinets, and I don't want y'all to hear the crashing of dishes or whatever. That's that would be the least weird thing that's ever happened during recordings. So <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, he's hanging up the thing. Um what did I write here? Can I say it's so cool? I wrote that Margaret and the Major is the most ambitious crossover event in television <laughs> history. Yes. <laughs> Yes, uh, yes, is the capital T H E E scene. Like I just I, and Colleen knows one of my favorite characters in the entire series is Major Briggs, and of course, just thinking about him. And if y'all are X Files fans, you know he shows up as Scully's father. Yes, in a very very Lynch Lynchian episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great episode, and yeah. uh, he is actually like a podcast favorite here. We all our major major stands uh even fritz is like he's hands down like yeah. the yeah. avengers who it's just margaret and major <laughs> right um i do love this i do want to say real quickly because he, she pops into the show but today is actually peggy lipton's birthday so yeah. i'm really blessed that we are we are recording on what on this holy day fourth birthday <laughs> or whatever we love we love Thank a resplendent queen but um, I wrote major is majorly annoyed, <laughs> and I think he's annoyed at Andy. I can't. Remember. Oh yeah, you see him kind of like in the back. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. kind of like, like Margaret comes in, and it's just like uh, <laughs> it's just um, processing, <laughs> and uh, it's just as he would. Uh, and the log lady comes in and sits next to him, kind of aggressively. And now Norma, looking resplendent as always, tells the log lady, like, it's so nice to see you again, but keep that fucking pitch gum in your mouth. <laughs> or put it in a place it's supposed to go. <laughs> yeah, stop sticking it. I wrote, keep your shit gum in your shit mouth. <laughs> and she says it in such a kind way, but like, you could... It's a real, real bless your heart vibes in yeah. that one. Yeah. Well, I have like a head cannon that it's just like whenever like uh, normal normal's called her out for that. Hey, uh, sorry, logly is just like, well, my log said I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like argue with my log. <laughs> your log doesn't own this fucking diner, bitch. So <laughs> anyway, um, this is a great scene though. Beyond the pitch gum. Um, the log lady tells the major that, of course, the log has something to tell him. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, can you hear it? And he's like, no, I can't. Which, 
is kind of like duh but also considering a lot of things about the major is like he actually like genuinely tries to hear mm-hmm. it's something that we'll get to but um she and she's like well I can interpret and she says the log says deliver the message does that make sense to you and he's like fuck yeah it actually does oh, damn. holy shit yes so um I wrote he well he understands only in Twin Peaks well, also, right before the log <laughs> thing, there's this less important exchange between them that I also really like about the medals he's wearing. And she's like, you wear, yeah, I, unfortunately, I didn't write this down verbatim, but she says something about, oh, you wear shiny things on your outfit. It's like, well, yes, I do. And then she's like, is that because you're proud? And he's like, says something about the nature of pride. It's like, there's like a low-key takedown of masculinity, something going on there. I think he says like, like, Pride's its own reward. Yes, yeah, pride yes, is its own reward because yeah. he like successfully. I have the entire script pulled up, so I have. Like, that's good because I. <laughs> that's a good idea. I did not today. So. I was so nervous. Should I prepare? Should I like have like a play-by-play like those whatever well, those football people do? Like I don't know, sports announcers. <laughs> as you well, as we, you now see, you're better prepared than the actual hosts yeah. of this podcast. I was gonna so. say is what we usually do in that situation is okay. I'm gonna look it up while you others talk. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm back in a minute. <laughs> so anyway, um, yes, it that this is just a really good scene. Um, it's short, but it's obviously important. So. Well, and it just goes to show that like Briggs, like especially the major, like, you know, you kind of, in the past episodes, you've seen kind of his relationship with the family, especially Bobby, and like how that kind of undergoes its own transformation. But I just, I really think Briggs is one of the very few characters, because, you know, you think of like the military government types, you know, you have like Kooky Cooper and like everybody else, and you know, Albert, but then you have like Briggs, he's just like such like a good, like, I think a good, like, balance to everything. Like he, Jenny, he's not making fun of the log lady. Whereas, you know, most people, when they would see someone like that, even in real life, would be like, oh, she's weird or whatever. But like. And certainly like a super buttoned up military dude would, you yeah. know, he feels very against type. Whereas a lot of the characters on the show, I think they sort of start as stereotypes and then they get sort of problematized or inverted in some way. The major is just straight up like his own entity, just yeah, unknowable. <laughs> he doesn't have like a dynamic character arc, but you don't need characters yeah. like that. I just, yeah. I really love, always love that kind of solid fatherly, like, especially when you compare him to like Doc Hayward, who's like, you know, kind of the opposite, like kind of similar, but just like in different proximities yeah. to like, you know, the teenage characters of the show. But I don't know. I just, I could ramble out Major Briggs forever and I've always. Yeah. <laughs> Look, also- Doc Hayward has a lot going on. He's literally the only doctor in the entire town and he it's literally everything. He's he apparently like stuff at some point. So. Yeah, he's apparently quintuple board certified since he's like <laughs> both a you know he does coroner work. He does like he he's delivers babies. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, this is this is cut and dry here. It's it's good. This is a great scene. And then we're going to move over to Lucy uh, at her station. Oh yeah, the loudest fly in the history. It is a fly sound that it is unfly. I'm like, that is not a fly, even a believable. 
the, it's a helicopter. The, yeah. the help me at the first episode is more believable. <laughs> or like the cat whistle from like, the dog whistle from last Oh yeah, episode. yeah, that's right. More that's believable right. than this fucking I think it's just David Lynch going to the boom mic and just go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Um, yeah. Andy has tape in his hair. Apocalypse now helicopter in the background. <laughs> um, Andy has tape in his hair. As we learned last episode, Lucy's pregnant and he confronts her finally. And he Yeah, says, and, and we it, important also that Andy kind of like freaked out and bailed out when she said she was pregnant. Now we get yeah. a little more info on why. Yeah, yeah. so why. So uh, this is great because you know, can't handle a baby if you can't get himself. Well, right, but and, and that's what it seems like at first. And now we get a little more info on it. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and this has a great little little moment where he's like, the sperm bank needed donors, and naturally I applied as <laughs> duty, and I like wells. And I didn't, I don't, okay. Whatever okay. gets you going. Okay. Whatever what, gets kind of, you. what kind of magazine did they send him to the back with? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get the wells. Better home and gardening. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, and then he has learned what, during that that he is sterile, which originally he thought meant he did not have to shower. But <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> so maybe, it's, maybe it's better that he. Like, it's so endearingly like annoying that like again like usually those types of characters i don't find myself liking but he's yeah. like you can't be mad at him you and you can't, can't yeah you physically cannot be mad at him. No. <laughs> it's not allowed i'm hating him because he's just so like again like the i think what helps is the physical comedy aspect of it because he and lucy have such a great chemistry literally both in the context of their show but just like in timing because i think that's also part of it i think if he was just played as like an idiot it wouldn't be as Mm-hmm. like again just kind of the back and forth between the two and him just making these weird comments about like the sperm bank <laughs> and just like why would you even go there bud like i get that they want donors can you imagine like pull like leafing through a, a pamphlet i guess of like potential okay. <laughs> 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 he's like she to be like what is it like assistant deputy whatever <laughs> <laughs> prone to head injuries <laughs> hobbies i like wells I don't whatever I don't so she's just like whatever pulls the tape out of his hair and slams her window and that's basically that. Uh, now and, boy, and boy am I excited to see the introduction of the character that comes out of this. <laughs> and yes, we are champing at if you if you can believe it, listeners, this has to do with men's fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, a little a little uh a little easter egg is our logo for this oh yeah that's right the original photoshop (laughs) i realized he says whales i thought we were saying wells it's whales is it whales the closed captioning said wells the closed captioning for me said wells i'm looking at the script and it says you know like well, the then joke, the joke at least makes sense. Then the sense. joke makes sense. Wait, wait it still doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, but it makes sense contextually yeah. if it's whales. I guess it's like some kind of weird I think, pun. I think the language kind of joke missed a mark there, David. Yeah, I don't know. Or the closed captioning, which often happens. They're like wells. Also, I think Andy's inability to pronounce words may have been <laughs> yeah, an interfering factor. Andy's inability to actually like, 
be coherent. To be a human being. Yeah. Um, we're gonna move on to the next scene, which has Chris and my favorite character, Dingus. Otherwise known as Hank. He's not our favorite character. We can't stand him. Uh, with his cool domino keychain. Well, uh, yeah, I know. Hank. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's really good practice to let a convicted felon like just walk around in the police chief's office, I guess. Or... I mean, Ted Bundy did escape prison, you know, twice. And one time twice. he was allowed in the freaking, you know, prison library. So like, <laughs> that I, I might regret saying this, but I feel Ted Bundy was probably a bit smarter than Hank. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Confident. Well, know. one thing, one thing we, <laughs> one thing we get out of this scene which we don't get a lot more other than Hank sucks and he's being a snide little shit about his probation mm -hmm. is that uh, he used to be a bookhouse boy, but then he quit. Fucking so how smart <laughs> can he be? Because he could still be a bookhouse boy. <laughs> not only was he a bookhouse boy, he was the best bookhouse he was the, boy. The best of us. The best. The best. I'm like, I wrote a little, you're probably not gonna see it, but I wrote like a little like, oh my god face. But I, then but then Hank was I mean, like, no, thank you. Believe, considering the current <laughs> members of the book house, except for Deputy Hawk, who I do love. Yeah. yeah. But also just like screen time. But you know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's you know, at some point Hank was like, no thank you, no books for me. <laughs> No, we'll the, house. We'll the, big house. the time, right. the time for me is to move from the a big house boy. Uh, um, this is just some this is just some parole shit. Sign, yeah. get you know, don't be bad this week. Whatever. Um, and then Cooper's like, you used to be friends in his very annoying like Sherlock Holmes thing, and then. <laughs> And then Harry is just like, yeah, and he was a book house boy, and he was really good. And then they cut away <laughs> from the scene. It's like, great, I'm glad that was in there. Did Tibetan Buddhism teach you that, Coop? <laughs> <laughs> Friends. Um, now we are going to go to uh, Audrey's missing. And okay, so. Oh, yes. This, well, wait, is this where Ben. Lucy's transferring the phone calls. I thought yeah. that was another. Like, Oh, this yeah. is actually a pretty dark episode considering some things but i just i love the moments of levity with lucy and andy and like you know just that and even with ben and jerry you know the whole thing of like can i tra i'll transfer uh ben uh yeah ben horn to you oh wait not him just like his call and i'm like and yeah, like not his actual physical <laughs> i'm not gonna like <laughs> astral project him into the room or well, something the, like over explanation of things is kind of what endears me to the show is just like overly explaining like daily mundane tasks yeah. like, just like the chair scene earlier yeah. in the yeah. hospital yeah it's just it like in any other situation or context i feel like would have been like overly annoying but it just works so well because you're going like pretty like dark and or like depressing scenes you just kind of need that transition but i thought i'd just mention that because it's one of my favorite mm -hmm. like it's lucy good. was so comedic in her you know talk mannerisms so i just it's so great i love she's her. amazing yeah she's fantastic um now this is funny to me because ben is calling and he's just like he's got like a wine glass and he's like swishing it the way you want like 
if you were a snob, I don't drink it like that, but if you were like a rich guy yeah, like a, who doesn't care about his daughter, but is trying to seem like he does. And he's like, hey guys. I guess. Like, yeah, I don't give a shit. He's, he's like, like, oh I, I dude, guess. we're just roasting like, marshmallows over some hickory sticks. Like who are you? I'm like pissed that he has stopped roasting marshmallows and take a call that from his wife hey have you seen our daughter for the past two days because he's like I'm, i've been trying not to personally <laughs> but yet in a way i've been trying to in bad ways. oh yeah god yeah i guess that irony almost i didn't even really think about it in the scene itself i i guess it would have been more present if i was watching it week to week but it, it's in the scene itself it just seems more like he's being an asshole like uh, yeah i don't know like where who cares? She's probably dead. <laughs> she's dead, whatever. Okay. I don't care. Okay. I, just, I Legally, I have to tell you she's missing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need a, a follow up. So Coop is like, oh, no. Um, which is just like, whatever. I guess. Whatever. Yeah. The, the sooner <laughs> that plot point goes away, the better we all yeah. are. <laughs> and then Leland comes barging the fuck in. God <laughs> bless Ray Wise. <clears throat> oh, I love him. And then last night after I watched this, I watched. A 2012 horror movie called Excision, and he's in it for a moment, and I'm like, "Fucking yeah!" Thank God, yeah. Really, a really lot of very other stuff that, like, again, like the more time that passes, like I'll watch things, and I'm just like, "Oh my God, he is in like other stuff." Yeah. Like, he's in the chase with with Charlie Sheen. I'm like, "Yeah," uh, <laughs> but um, I I had a the last set of roommates I was with before I moved in with my girlfriend uh, were binging Fresh Off the Boat. Yeah. And uh, he's like a doctor in that show. And he's just like kind of this jovial guy. Yeah, like, yeah. like a doddering like, sitcom dad. Yeah, yeah. I'm always like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. Like, oh, God. He's like a weird magic... Yeah, he's like just... a weird magic dude in Fargo. And he was... Oh, in... yeah. I've, so I've been re-watching the original CSI because I grew up watching that show with my mom. And like he was in an episode of CSI, like the original one, and I'm just like, that's Ray Wise. <laughs> it's kind of hard to like, like okay, and something. I'm like, you know, no one's ever gonna be like, oh my god. But at the same time, I'm like, Mitch Pelugi, he's in this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I get that way too. We stand. Um, <laughs> we stand. <laughs> wait, wasn't he? Wait, and he was in. Um, and he was in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, I didn't watch that. Ah, uh, the right, but I didn't watch it. The the better the better the scary Riverdale the the Riverdale that's actually good is what I call it. okay listen we will not the, stand for Riverdale slander yeah that's, oh no I will, not, I will not happen on my watch yeah. had an ounce of Twin Peaks like it's like literally they just sketched it over with like a shaky pencil like, like I mean I agree but it's so funny yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I watched the first season and just couldn't finish like I know Imagine Emix in there and I again love her. And I think she makes sense as Betty's mom, but like at the same time, I'm just like. Mm. I mean, I I definitely make that same face like I just bit into a grapefruit or something when I watched it. But it's justifying the quality. Quality of Riverdale has nothing to do with why Riverdale matters. Well, we're getting to this. Okay, we're gonna keep that for the Riverdale podcast. We'll keep this for the Riverdale podcast. Got fired up there. (laughs) That we will do after the Mad Men. Podcast that's positive. Not a lot to do. In- oh, I can't wait to join that one. I have uh, yeah, I really want to do that. Uh, I can't let Mitch, a uh, Mitch mention go by without, without 
saying that he was also in Shocker, the 1989 Wes Craven movie, <laughs> which is not great, but my friend Brian is the biggest fan and last week at the drive-in, they played the trailer just for him. <laughs> so everyone got to see the Shocker trailer. That rules. So he's very good in it, but it's not. Well, and also um, Ray, Rise, Ray Wise was in um, the episode of Psych with the uh, the whole parody of Twin Peaks called Duel Yes, and it's one of my favorite because I'm a huge fan of Psych. Which again, I'm like every time I'm like, well, it's not technically a cop show if you know Sean Spencer's not a cop. So they're not cops. They're not cops. <laughs> and Dulé Hill. I mean, come on, that man deserves an award. But um, you know, just like I, he always shows up in these types of characters, and you're always just like <laughs> Ray Wise. You were I love him. <laughs> I wanted to put out a Christmas album. That would <laughs> rule. I would buy the shit out of that. I would too. <laughs> 20 um, okay. Christmas Hanukkah album. Yeah, you do a holiday album. It's fine. It's not Christmas. Anyway, um, he comes in during this scene and, and there's like, uh, the, uh, there's a fire. We got to talk to the Islandics before they like, get mad at us. And he's like, yo, let's talk to the Islandics. Let's call them. It's going to be great. Needless to say, he already called them and uh, Ben and Jerry are not happy about it because the Atlantics are like, what's up with this fire? Yeah, he tipped them off. But the context is that Leland has tipped them off about the fire of the mill and they wanted to be able to, one, to be the ones to deliver the information and soften that blow. However, they decided they were going to work it. And now the choice has been lifted from them. And it's this increasing irritation with Leland who insists that he's okay enough to be back at work, but is, you know, continuously foiling their dumb rich guy plans. I mean, all, I mean, welcome to the resistance, Leland. Yeah, 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 seriously. Not really, just without the whole like. Just with this one small subplot. Com- comrade, comrade Leland trying to <laughs> jam up the gears of capitalism in this scene. I mean, this scene, like, with I think if it just been without Leland, it wouldn't like. It's just I again like that subplot where I'm kind of like, uh, can we get to the next part? Kind of, but. You know, this yeah. Yeah. again the the comedy stylings of Ben and Jerry with the ledger, I feel like, was more compelling regarding the business mill subplot. But like this scene, was just <laughs> like, okay, shit, we gotta add Leland so that way it's funny and just like. But what's yeah. weird is this scene is like a catalyst for Leland yes. this this sign uh, on like a coffee table in Ben's office of like, have you seen this man? And it's the sketch of Bob from from earlier, yeah. uh, which but, I thought was a weird spot for this, like. It is a weird spot. And Why would it be there? Like, did they, were they like, oh, can you hang these up at the Great Northern? Like, why would he just have it like on top of newspapers or I think whatever? I the it? designer left it there again. Just like, uh, <laughs> like, we'll just work with it. But it, Jerry was supposed to be fiddling with it during the scene and he forgot to. Oh like, God, I don't know. like, he could have easily walked into like the diner inside or something. Yeah. It really it was Frank Silva again, just like leaving stuff out and being like, okay, we're just going to roll with it. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, um, so Leland picks yeah. up his thing, <laughs> and he's like, I know this man. Um, and he says, you know, like, when I was younger, my grandfather had a summer house, and he was the neighbor. Like, like I know him. And what? what? Just, like, creepy. Just, yeah. Uh, it, it, oh, it implies it something that you don't want implied. Yes. And it also, oh, it, yes, yeah. It, 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 it also... Yeah to the point that I said in the cut that actually is relevant and safe to talk about here is that 
it, it suggests that this guy is real, right? Like there's there's this yeah. question up to this point of like, you know, Coop's seeing him in dreams. This girl who's like basically still unconscious suggests yeah. that she's seen him. What does that leave us with? Not something real. Leland going, oh, I've seen this guy. I've talked to this guy. Like, it's like, oh, oh, so maybe this is a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Leland, even though he's definitely like kind of struggling with everything and like, you know, often, yeah. still, I guess, more like his his confession or his outburst is still more solid than I guess you know Cooper just being like, I'm having right. dreams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Guy. yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely interesting, and so it's kind of funny that like like that's kind of a heavy thing. It's like I know like my when I was young, he lived next to my grandfather in the woods, which yes doesn't kind of leave some implication of not things but um but just, it says it as clearly as you could say it on television in 1990 yeah it's probably true yeah but all the more reason it's really uncomfortable that ben and jerry kind of sit there and they're just like right cool like, like, well, <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say like ben and jerry just don't even acknowledge what he said they just look at him like all right and he's like i gotta go tell someone and they're like cool like please go away forever you know <laughs> And then the minute he leaves, he says, uh, Jerry, please kill Leland, which is just like kind of coming back to like, oh, it's funny. I'm so sick of this guy. I want him dead, like whatever. But um, like at the same time, it's also like there's actual murders going on in this town. So maybe. And, and, part of the, and, and part of the crux of the show uh, to this point is that it takes murder very seriously, is that this is the, like, unlike the way a lot of police procedurals are just like, okay, somebody died. Now we go investigate that. Like, part of what this show does is it places a lot of melodrama around this idea that murders don't happen in Twin Peaks, right? So right. it's like, and obviously we see that facade start to crumble. We've already seen now uh, Jacques Renault has been murdered since the Laura murder happened. But um, like it, it kind of turns this whole idea of like, oh, we're shocked by this on its head where like the second so everybody's out of earshot. It's like, oh, kill this guy. Laura's <laughs> like, death set off like both murders and attempted murders. I mean, Cooper right. was shot. Cooper um, was Leo. shot. Leo's been shot as we're oh, about happening. to discuss. Yeah. Um, bird? The we... minor bird that got shot to death? No! Welcome! <laughs> before we leave this scene, uh, Jerry turns to Ben and says, is this real or some strange twisted dream? Which is kind of like, but also, is he talking about Leland fucking up this Icelandic thing, or is he talking about Leland saying, I know this guy from when I was a kid? I feel like it's more the Icelandic thing, but it's just such a creepy sort of line that's thrown into such like a, like a, uh, something's happening that they're just ignoring because they're like, oh, like they're more in tune with like the spiritual slash like surreal. Yeah, it's like, like what the kid from the beginning, you know, the episode with Donna and Mrs. Tremont of just like, kind of spouting off these one-liners. And I think it works in context. Again, like most other shows where they're like, oh, you know, this is weird or creepy or whatever, say something like overly poetic. But I think the way that, God, Jerry says it, it's just kind of like, you kind of expect it from that character at this point, just because sure. he is like so, again, kind of out there and wacky. And especially with like the comedic stylings that they had earlier in the episode which is not my new favorite phrase but <laughs> um yeah I think I think it were and I definitely think it's I don't know I kind of lean towards like maybe he's more in tune with it so I kind of lean towards the latter but I also just think you know no one's there watching the show for the business subplot like I'm sorry. Sure. 
But well, it's like one person out there who's like, I don't know what's happening. I, I think you hit on it perfectly, though, is that that sort of like, you're sort of like bleeding those elements into each other with Jerry's sort of recognition of something larger going on. I mean, the good news for us as viewers is that we're not going to talk any more about weird dreams ever again in Twin Peaks. We're done <laughs> discussing that. It's gone from the story now. Um, okay. It's all a dream. Yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely won't have a scene like that ever. ever. Certainly not an important one. It's all part of the Tommy Westfall universe. Oh, God. oh no. Oh, God. Well, not like that. It's actually been established that our universe, our actual universe, is part of the Tommy Westfall universe. <laughs> Why not? It's canon. Um, <laughs> the next scene, I, I don't want to talk too much about for just interest of time, but also it's very cut and dry. Doc Hayward's talking to, to Shelly, Leo in a coma, the titular coma, mind you. Um, uh, he's going to be paralyzed. They don't know how much of an extent of like brain damage is happening. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, and she's just like, she's like, well, maybe he'll be in a, he's like in a prison in a way, because she asks if he's going to go to prison, but they're not really putting people in comas in prison. So uh, it's certainly it's, not in Twin Peaks. We're not. We've got like two cells in the bottom of the sheriff's of office. And, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I will say I do think the dynamics in the scene are kind of interesting because when Haywood is communicating this stuff to her, um, it's very like she's very reluctant to approach and stuff. And he sort of interprets this and reacts as such that she's like kind of scared of the injury he's received and like is feeling sad about it. And we know we're privy to the fact that it's because he was abusive to her. And yeah. part of this is like, you know, not his actual being shot, but you know, at the same time, she was kind of involved in some machinations to get out from under him. And now this is like a really complicated situation and she's like kind of adrift as to how to handle it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought actually it was it was kind of that like she's pretty good in it and then towards the end she starts kind of breaking down and Doc Hayward's like hey girl it's all right yeah, everything's yeah. gonna be good uh Norma's gonna take you home but I, I thought it's nice I mean Shelly's kind of like a she's a complex character in a way mm -hmm. and seeing her vulnerable like that for probably a, a number of reasons that are are know converging at the moment it's it's just kind of sweet it's like the last episode when i talked a lot about her and bobby having like their cute mannerisms like i was like oh they like really do like love each other like they're like yanking each other's hair and stuff but it, i thought this was kind of a sweet little moment where he like kind of comforts her but but all in all truly it is it is just like hey what's happening to leo we got to tell the audience he's fucked up man <laughs> <laughs> Doc Haywood looks directly at the camera. <laughs> He's fucked, He's fucked up. up. Hey, it's going to be a record scratch and be like, you were on probably wondering. Leland's head like lolling. <laughs> hey, I'm Leo Johnson. You're probably wondering how I went. I'm like, <laughs> how I got in this mess. Anyway. Saved by the bell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wrote mystery caller for Truman. A scene I truly do not remember from last night. So, wait, what? The next oh, thing yeah. I wrote was mystery caller for Truman. Yeah, was, this is weird. I didn't really say anything about it either because I don't remember what it's supposed to be about. But it's like somebody calls yeah. the station and is talking to Lucy, and 
he, they're apparently like, I need to speak to Sheriff Truman. And she's like, okay, who are you? She's like, I can't give you to the sheriff unless you identify yourself. Okay, well, goodbye. I have to hang up with you. Goodbye. And, and that's and it. I, I, I'm trying to remember what that's about. And honestly, I don't specifically. I don't remember either. That's connected to. Guess so you'll find out next episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I think I know what subplot it's related to, but I'm not, I'm not sure. It's actually the sperm bank being like, <laughs> <laughs> like, we made a mistake <laughs> 15 years ago. It's a guy uh, calling to offer to build a well in Andy's backyard. <laughs> He's very excited about it. And a whale. A whale at the bottom of the well <laughs> so that they can swim around down there. Um, we're going to move from that, that very quick moment over to 1-8 Jacks, which uh, I'm going to maintain best wallpaper of the show. I'm gonna just go on fucking record. I've done it before and I'll do it again. And I just, um, I just want all the interior design of Twin Peaks like in a house, you know? Everything. Yeah. That wallpaper is perfect. Um, um, this bit is really funny that this bit is funny. Audrey does there. The, the one thing I don't like about the scene is it's pretty at odds with what we understand to be her situation of danger there, both yeah. from the prior episode as well as how we end up at the end of it she's just suddenly kind of oh actually i'm really good at this sleuthing thing and like kind of through some varying forms of manipulation gets her way into the room where oh, she uh literally says that you know i'm audrey horn and i get what i want yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 like suddenly she's like super badass at this for like 30 seconds and then it kind of goes away it's, it's a little totally bizarre i am love hate with audrey but this is sure her best this yeah is, yeah for sure this one scene is i was like this is the best she ever is in this show uh there's a, a man tied up to jay's lounge it's and, we learned that it's her boss from the perfume counter yes at that's the, the reveal store. it's fucking yeah. emory man but what's funny is there's a woman vacuuming and there's a, a kind of not long but there's like an extended sort of pantomiming of her being like like shooing like, this person. The woman out. being like, no. And her being like, you gotta leave. And she's like, I don't want to. Just just fucking leave. And then the lady just shuts off the vacuum. She's like, what? <laughs> but there's like no speaking. It's like really very. She leaves the vacuum running. And then yes. I guess to it, which is That's the right. thing. Like to, to paint this picture a little more, Emery is like tied up, sort of upside down on like this long chaise looking thing. And he's got. Like his toes are painted and there's like cotton balls stuck between them and they're elevated. And the, apparently the girl vacuuming around is part of it for him. Yeah, it's like a the, part of a kink thing. Yeah, yeah, because the oh, second the girl is- on the TL guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. And the second- It's, it's the, just like oddly specific, which is very much, you know, very Twin Peaks. Very, but also very internet. Like I feel like, like it feels very Twitter in a way that like usually 1990 does not come across with. But look at Emery um, being horny on Maine. <laughs> don't talk about your hyper specific foot vacuum thing on <laughs> online. Like so weird. And he's blindfolded too, which is yeah. And the production and the prompt designer is just like, okay, we're gonna need a vacuum. Gonna need a chase lounge, some rope, some cotton balls, some, some pink balls. Yeah. nail polish, please. Part, part of the fun of that for me, though, is that watching the documentary featurettes on the season three return DVD shows that 
Lynch does a lot of the physical prop design himself. Yeah. Like a lot of like carving the objects, like buying bullshit from the hardware store to mix a strange goop that's going to appear in this scene. Like he's probably setting up a lot of that. Like, okay, now crank his feet a little bit higher. <laughs> um, anyway, like, I really love the moment where Audrey finally turns off the vacuum, which the noise is super pervasive and annoying through the scene. She shuts it off and he's immediately like, why is the vacuum off? <laughs> really like harshed his mellow there. Yeah, yeah. Shut that off. This kink is very specific, ladies. <laughs> I need it running or I can't. Why can't you just be normal? Just pull it, just get into a foot fetish. <laughs> yeah, like what? Uh, anyway, um, and then she, you know, she's like, ha, it's me, Audrey. Tell me everything. Who owns this place? Your dad. Uh, like, how are you getting girls here? The perfume counter. Uh, it's like, you know that. That's how you got here. This is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like, was Laura ever here? And he's like, once. <laughs> he's like, she's yeah. Like, she's, uh, and then what, like, whatever. Uh, she, she's, he's like, your dad, he's like, she's like, did my dad know Laura was here? And he's like, yeah, which like is definitely like your dad definitely banged Laura, dude. Yeah, well, and again, it's in the very 1990 on uh, primetime television way of saying that, where he says <laughs> he makes a point to entertain all of the um, girls who come yeah. through here. And and <laughs> what do you mean? Do they play bingo together? <laughs> well, I mean, playing. talking about some of these teens, I mean, some of them could be playing like cards or whatever, and just like, or just like. Well, you too. Maybe <laughs> maybe they could be vacuuming in the same room. Maybe that's. I think like, they're hanging out with Johnny playing. Uh, Oh God! Oh no! Oh, that's upsetting. Oh God! Don't do that. Just like hanging out. No, I know, but still, it's upsetting. Just thinking about Johnny and his whole thing is upsetting. Yeah, yeah, Um, it's not. Yeah, it's not great. We've gotten into extensive conversations. And then when he comes back in the return, it's a little better, but it's much more upsetting. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's bizarre. Anyway, um, so she's definitely like, shit. Like this is not great. My dad's gross. My dad. I'm like, no offense, but I'm like, come on, Audrey, you know your dad owns everything. Like, I think, yeah, I think she does know that. She just wanted to hear it, but also like implication that like she and Laura weren't friends, but she did appreciate what she did for her brother and stuff. So just the idea of like my dad's like boning down women that are my age, like, and, and yeah. he even says like she was here and we had to make her leave because she was all fucked up on drugs, and it's like, like it's just like not chill at all like plus audrey has been pretty explicitly not smart about how she's gotten herself into this situation like she thinks she's being helpful but really she's just hitting on stuff that the police literally already know at this point or at least suspect it's just like everybody's touching evidence i'm like y'all just put some (laughs) gloves on yeah um they love to like walk into some of these apartments and go, what's this? And pick up the magazine. <laughs> Is this a clue? I'm not. What? Like this might be something. Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> it's an old LucasArts game where you have to click on the magazine on the table and Coop walks over and picks it up. Um, okay, like this. So this scene just kind of ends with all that like sleuthing type stuff. Um, we're going to move over to Bobby and Shelly being together. They're in a car. They're in his dad's continental for room purposes. But, um, <laughs> and this is just so silly to me. He, I mean, I get it. It's just moving the plot along. But he's like, I made a call pretending to be Leo's cousin. 
And if we bring him home, uh, they'll give us $5,000 a month because he's like, you know, in a coma and like whatever. So we can do anything we want as long as he's home. But they would not release that information to someone's cousin. <laughs> like they, she, wife. They also, like, they also sure as shit wouldn't be getting that much money. Like we, <laughs> we. But I've seen the extent of the police work and research in this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But, right. <laughs> They're just like, okay, so, he's Leo's cousin. Let's just give him money. So but also I, such a small town, I'd be like, who? We so, know, you know Leo's cousin. I know everyone in this town. It's like 12 people who live here. I mean, Harold Smith never leaves his house. So. <laughs> right. Maybe it's Harold, whatever. Um, so so I'm on a, um, a couple things I want to say about the, this bit. And first is that I was watching this with my girlfriend earlier, and she was like, she said the same thing, like, bit. Like, how much money do they think they're going to get from this guy? And of course, they say this 5,000 figure, but it's not what real life is like. But it's like, part of the deal is that Bobby and Shelly are fucking idiots. Like, you know, like, even when you like what they're doing, they're always making bad decisions. But Bobby's like, we'll, we'll just take care of Leo. Like, nothing could possibly go wrong. It's like, it's It'll unethical. Be a breeze. It, it's unethical. Weekend at Leo. Yeah. It's unethical, but at the same time, you know Bobby's going to get his comeuppance from this because he's too stupid to avoid doing that stuff. So it's like, you know, it's just going to end badly for them. It's going to be bad. Um, second, another Your one of my pet. So smart, and you are so stupid. <laughs> I know. It's like, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I do like Bobby's character a lot. I yeah, yeah, I do too. He reminds game. me a lot of Aiden. Yeah. I, you, you know, and I, I know Jim you haven't met Aiden, but. No. I'm gonna start my own spin-off podcast called like James Forehead. <laughs> An in-depth look. <laughs> 400 um, episode long podcast. Another bit is that uh, the when we transition into this scene, um, I didn't want to interrupt your description, but um, we go from the Audrey bit to this car. And it is yet another instance of Audrey's music being piped in through a radio device because Audrey's mm -hmm. music is playing through the car station. And then Bobby's like, I don't like this. Like, change the music. And then they switch to like some generic oh. butt rock sounding thing. And he's like, Yeah, that's cool. I love <laughs> yeah. Um, I love her thing. So, yeah, yeah we her, th have her theme is great. And there's a thematic reason I want to pay attention to it. But almost every scene that you hear Audrey's music in, it's coming from a device that's in the scene, in the scene. like a it's jukebox on radio or something. Like the jukebox. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been trying to keep track of if it's ever like, like just like background, like aesthetic, mu like soundtrack music. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it is. It's yeah. And if so, it's action. incidental. It, it's very clearly this song almost always appears coming through a musical device within the scene itself. Um, yeah, and then they just go to Bone Towns, so like, whatever. <laughs> That's why he has the content. Then, yeah, then it's just like a 30-minute explicit sex scene between yeah. <laughs> Bone Town, like, USA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leo oh, being no. back. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to write that down because I want Fritz to mock that up, and I'm going to post it. The Twin Peaks sign that says Bone Town, USA. <laughs> There's the bird on the top. <laughs> oh, here. Oh, yes. Okay, anyway. God bless. <sighs> Bone Town. I can't do Photoshop. So. Bone Town USA Pop 2. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so that's that. Now, this is an important scene. 
so there's gonna be a lot to talk about it's gonna be a long yeah. episode sorry matt <laughs> we're getting there though we're almost whatever there. we're almost there, so. because i kept talking about ray wise <laughs> no it's fine this is the podcast <laughs> i don't know if you right. <laughs> Me we had a full digression about Riverdale. Yeah, that, that Matt was partially responsible. It's for better. It's so. better than the John partially. Cage podcast. I was on. <laughs> uh, so this is an important scene, and and so we go to uh, Coop in his room, and the fucking Audrey letter is under his bed, and it's like really frustrating to me. Like, just fucking, don't you store stuff under the bed or something? No, of course he Coop doesn't. Who has no extra possessions? Are you kidding me? He's too, <laughs> too neat for I mean, that. that's part of Buddhism, you know, who doesn't want any material. No attachments. So, um, he gets a knock on the door, and what, it's funny because he's like, who is it? Because <laughs> it's like, I feel <laughs> like every time someone knocks on his door, it's like, well, I mean, last to be fair, last time he got yeah. shot. So. That's what I mean. So now he's like, yeah. and and it is our dear friend, Mr. Brig. Um, before that happens, though, he's talking to Diane, right? And he's saying, uh, Wyndham Earl is out and about. So we know <laughs> we're stuck with this plot point, whether yeah, we like it or just, not. Just solidified. <laughs> we're just and, it's happening now. And that Audrey is missing, which like. It's like an ennui <laughs> that he like oh that he like did not expect i forget exactly what he says he, he touches he, me in ways i did not expect which feels right. like a really awkward phrasing for her. i find myself not thinking of clues or evidence but her smile and i'm like the content the of content her of her smile so mad i'm gonna go spoiler light but basically like the behind the scenes of like why david lynch didn't oh, yeah. tear up yeah i guess it's not a but like he didn't pair up Dale and Audrey because he was dating Laura Flynn Boyle at the time and they were just worried about like optics like she's in high school but I'm also just like at the same time I'm just like <laughs> I can't talk about later in this in the show but yeah I, yeah it, it gets frustrating and we have discussed this before without discussing it where it's like oh we've yeah. decision but now we've made this like yeah. So it's it will get to it. However, it all all of that weird behind the scenes element does culminate in one of my absolute bar none favorite guest spots on the show and towards the end of season two. Even though it's like not that it's good because it's not, but the fact that he's in the show is touches me me in ways I did not expect. I find myself thinking thinking about the content of his smile. So, um, so, you know, Major Briggs interrupts this like Diane thing, but uh, he knocks and he's like, I have a message. So here's the message, right? We're finally getting something clear. I have a message to deliver. I'm going to do it in this episode because I am precise and I am good with time management. (laughs) So he has a message and he says, any bureaucracy that functions in secret ultimately lends itself to dysfunction which i was like that's true man Comrade. i should have been smoking when i watched it i'm like I should have been... this is 1991 like yeah, <laughs> 90, yeah. nothing's changed it's, it's gotten worse i definitely it's should have been high that yeah, that's what it is. um and we know it was this bad back then and i guess it was like what the first bush years was it like yeah yeah I mean, I was, I was born in 91. I hate to make y'all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to talk to you. 
I didn't know. I didn't know. I thought Aiden was going to be the first teen on this show, but I guess not. That's like uh, Michelle from Manioc, Chris. He's like, oh, no, that's going to be me. Like, how do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> how do you do, fellow kids? Oh man. Anyway, so um, so basically, he's like, part of my job, without going too much into detail, is like monitoring space code, like like you know, like waves and and radio signals that come from deep space i put, I put on my notes that he's in tom DeLong's uh <laughs> alien <laughs> research university yeah. or whatever so i can't go into details but i totally searched super good um and, and he's like you know nine times out of ten it's just fucking crap like like this is the most pointless job in the history of jobs except for on Tuesday night into Friday morning, which happens to be when Coop was shot. Um, and he holds up this, the thing and he's like, look at this, row after row of gibberish, which should really be the name of this podcast. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, it's but, actually it's actually a found poem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God, let's send it into like rattle. <laughs> I'm kidding, I hate Kenneth Goldsmith, but it's just no, like- yeah, no. <laughs> It is like real, but anyway, so, but he's like in here, right here at this like precise moment and all this like nonsense, it says the owls are not what they seem. And then it's uh, more fucking nonsense. And of course we love, I actually have a pin that says that and I have no idea where it is right now. And I was like, my pin. And I was like, we never show these videos. Why do I care so much? <laughs> so, um, and then he was like, you know, then it's more fucking garbage. And then here it says Cooper. And I wrote, here it is, motherfuckers. Yeah, I think it says Cooper like three or four times or something. Cooper's Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. And they're like, wow, what does it mean, man? Um, freaking, and... freaking objectivist poets, man. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I need to find, I need to find a still of Briggs holding that sheet of paper. I'm just going to be like, this is me and my poetry. <laughs> Oh, you'll find my So anyway, they're like, wow, that's fucked up. I'm like, what do you even say? Wow, I guess. Dang, man. <laughs> Deep. The elves must really mean? not be what they seem. Not, you're the second guy this week. Tell me that. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> Think about like the cultural impact that Twin Peaks has had. That's one of the most quoted lines from the entire series and just like how kind of almost absurd and surreal it is. Because like, again, out of context, you're like, the owls are not what they seem. What? Like, what does that even mean? Even in the context, you're like, what? Yeah, even in the context of the show, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Like... <laughs> But, you know, um, it just speaks to the longevity of the series, the fact that that, you know, quote is just sure. constantly, like, on merch and, like, everything else and just, like, yeah, so good. Classic. Classic. Classic Lynch, other than, you know, screaming at a <laughs> radiator. From the twisted mind. Um, okay. Now, okay, let's Out, take a Outdoor break. washing machine. Oh, my God, I can't. I have on my Animal Crossing, I have one outside the house. <laughs> I keep meaning to take pictures and put them on Twitter and I keep forgetting. So I'm going to get to it. It's so funny. It's not doors doing your laundry. It's weird anyway. Okay, let's all take a very deep and collective breath. No. We are moving on. No. I didn't want the seas. 
And before we move on to the scene, I want to posit something, fellas. I'm wondering if we as a staff should recreate the scene. We certainly <laughs> should. Musically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I, was like, I, 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 I have the necessary technology to do I wrote, that. Should we and the staff redo this? Record this. Anyway. So Oh, oh your your uh, annual Christmas card. Your family Christmas card. Totally. Oh, oh no, because it's yeah. the drunk monkeys picture for Christmas. Uh there's one too many people for the to that's true. It's like Lita going to be the guitar. She can be the standing microphone <laughs> between you and Fritz can be on the ground. Lita is the standing microphone and Aiden is playing the guitar. Oh my God. Anyway. You're so, welcome for thank solving you, your thank you, like, thank you. Anyway. Uh, Chris, I think you should take it. I think maybe my favorite thing I noticed on this watch through was that he starts by going, that was really good. Let's do it again. Which, which, which leads itself to the interpretation that they were just sitting there rehearsing this track for, you know, however many takes, you know? Are they recording it? Are they, what is happening here? There's no other instance, I don't think, until the return of us even seeing James playing the guitar or anything like that. Yeah. It's literally just like that meme of just like the guy at school with a guitar. <laughs> yeah. It's like it just manifested for the sake of this exactly one scene. It's just so It could have been, it could have, like they could have done, I know like other things happened in the scene, but they could have done that. They could have just been like, what should we do now, my lord? It could have been anything else. And, and it, it's an it original, feels, James Hurley original. <laughs> it, it feels like such a weird, directorial decision to be like okay we have to compose and record an original song for this scene that doesn't make any sense in the first place well, like, it might just be a falling you know falling. yeah yeah falling yeah, yeah. Was it julie cruz or whatever just yeah like, but at yeah. least that song appears as like a motif throughout the series i mean and it is good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> there's that as well um God, I hate that. just again my spinoff James Forehead podcast where I just rant about James Hurley. <laughs> I know I say this every every episode, but uh, maybe Hannah doesn't know. A few years ago, I was watching this, like watching one of the episodes. Actually, it was the scene with that Chris has as a background, and Aiden was like, "This is like that South Park with like high school is such a oh yeah, making fun of One Tree Hill or whatever." Yeah, he made it video where like I played it on my phone and he like overlaid <laughs> it's very good that's um, funny um anyway. since I haven't yet successfully described what they are actually doing these endless inversions of this um so they're sitting there and they're singing a song and uh which essentially involves James repeating the phrase just you and I over and over and over and over again with a couple of lyrical variations um, he sings in this awful, like pitchy falsetto. Um, Odd effect on it. Yeah, uh, he's he's strumming a guitar that he looks like he doesn't know how to play in real life. Um, he might be fretting the chords right, but he certainly doesn't look like he's playing. What's going on there? Um, he uh, the girls are sitting on the ground in a sort of uh, like. How would I even describe this? Like a sort of 
reclined, reposed way where they lean yeah, into each like other. on their knees with like their legs kind of, you yeah, know. Yeah, like big sweaters pulled over and they're like, they've got a standing super old school 60s looking ass microphone that they're singing into. Again, it's unclear if it's amped or they're recording or what. <laughs> Um, it's not even plugged in. Yeah, it, it, it just looks like he's just sitting there in the middle the of the effect, crowd. No, on his voice, which would come right. from Fritz was like that would come from the amp. It would come from the amp, but the best, what amp is being? Yeah, what amp? Though, yeah, that's the thing. Fritz, um, I said this before the show, but uh, if you're familiar with the band VOC, they had an album that was called Three Four that had some creepy songs, and it was very much that kind of effect. But also the closest thing, maybe mainstream, I can use because I'm not a musician, so I don't know like terms for this, is the vocal effect in the Rocky Horror Picture Show theme. It's like that kind of horny, old timey. I mean, it, it, to me, it's like a, like a bootleg knockoff of Beach House. Like the entire time, like it's just like four words or whatever, and I'm like, only Beach House can do that because it's actually like good. I mean. <laughs> It was just, I mean, I would rather go back to the subplot with like Einar Thorson talking about that and just like, this was so hard for me to sit through. I mean, it's to be bad. honest, to me, it sounds like all of those like shitty indie bands that when I was in high school in the mid 2000s, like all of my oh. friends pretended to like, uh, you know, like, I, I feel <laughs> like, like this. Like Jimmy like, Eat World? No, no, like we're. No, I mean more like uh, the Decemberists or something like that. Like, uh, excuse I, you. <laughs> I, I, but I have to that. like the Decemberists. You can like it. That's fine. <laughs> wow. Wow, Chris. We all know your favorite Next band. I see you. you know, Steal My Sunshine. That's a classic uh, indie. Excuse <laughs> me. I, I, yeah, excuse you. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, is, you're about to fight And the podcast evolves. <laughs> Brian Cabrera Nacho wants his song back. I'm thinking like, I, I, I'm thinking it's also, uh, I'm not going to have this right anymore. <laughs> what a thing that bothers me the most about this scene besides everything else is the two, you know, uh, Manny and Donna are next to each other and then James over here. And they're both looking at him with the most earnest, like first it's Donna and she's looking at him like, you're the dreamiest person I ever oh. saw. And I'm being, I'm like fucking you with my eyes while I'm overly enunciating and I. <laughs> but then it, and he's like, like, yeah, it's me and you, babe. And then Maddie starts doing it. And I'm like, this is James. Stop looking at him. It's not even worth it, honey. Like, just no. It's <laughs> not a delicious pie. He's. <laughs> Don't look at him that way. He's like, it's like Maddie. That's your your cousin's, you know, your dead cousin's former boyfriend. And I know it's she was dead like, cousin's former boyfriend and your dead cousin's best friend's current boyfriend. So <laughs> I mean, like, get out of there, girl. You have no right. Um, and then of course Donna notices that James is giving the goo goo eyes to Maddie. Well, and she's like, fuck this, and gets up and storms away. And he's exactly like, with a spoon. Like yeah. well, yeah. and I, I do I do want to point out that in this scene, James does the classic teenage boy move of being like a like immediately jumping up and running after Donna because he knows something is wrong. And then he catches up to her and he goes, Oh, but there's my cat. Uh, and then he catches up to her and he goes, 
is something wrong? <laughs> like, as though he doesn't know what happened or why. It's like, <laughs> come on. Yes. Everything about this scene is wrong, actually. I'm not even sure if it's good David Lynch cringe, you know? I'm just kind of like, it's yeah. just, it's, like, just it, it's good in the sense that just you is so <laughs> enduring as, like, just a, just the beautiful capsulation of, like, the stuff that sucks about the show I that I like, you know what I mean? I don't really like Donna. Like, I like Donna's outfits, and I like Donna. And I like Donna's outfits, too. Her sweater in the her, her outfits are good, yeah. Well, like, and then later in the show, when she does meet Mr. Smith, I do like Donna in those moments, but just, like, in the entire show, I, you know, I just, it's not that I don't think Lara Flynn Boyle can't act. It's just, I really yeah. just I just don't like Donna, and I just, I again, I James. I just hate James. We all do. It's fine. Well, you can say it like, loudly. Yeah, we've been very vocal about our hatred for James. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I really enjoy the way that the return plays with that. Like the fact that you're supposed to like James. Everybody hates James. How do we salvage the character? They yeah. don't really do that good of a job, but man, do they make a creative effort in trying to good. do it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm not a huge Donna fan either because she's a tryhard. Like she's she, just, oh you know, yeah, oh, that's a good that's a good label. For yeah, her. she's like I smoke now. It's like I, shut I, up. I, <laughs> like, I, I do I do a little bit empathize with what's going on with her. Of like all my friends have like all these more interesting, more dangerous things going on with them, and I'm trying to like find some way to be relevant to their struggles. I'm trying to. Uh, the little Sora, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Connection. Like, which I understand, and I do think it kind of makes sense that she would get closer to James because right. of it. That does happen, I think, sometimes in those situations. But you know, it's just like and, it's like it's all those elements, kind of like at the beginning of recording this, we were talking about, you know, the crime comp procedural show, the you know business thriller Pelican Brief stuff, and now like the teen, you know, teen romance. Oh man, yeah. There's like. Yeah, there's also a little bit that comes out about her character at the very end of season two that maybe mm -hmm. reflects a little light back on her behaviors through this stretch of the series yeah. um, in terms of her unmoredness as a character and her like latching on to other things. But what you do see is what Colleen is talking about where it's like she just grabs personality traits and is like, I do this thing now. And yeah. like- Well, that's totally not relevant at all in our- age of social media. No, I, yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I think that she's an interesting character, even though I don't like her very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, y'all are leaving mad, y'all are smooching. And then, you know, it's the classic like 80s slasher trope of just yeah. like, these two teens go off. Before oh. we do that. Yeah. Donna says, I'm trembling, James. You made me do this or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to tell you that Fritz interjected with James. He's like a serious D-list. <laughs> and I just thought that was really funny. So, so also, also when that happens and then she starts like trying to like super make out with him, I guess to like undo the vibes with Maddie or something seems to be her motivation. There's this brief insert shot where it cuts back to Maddie like sort of awkwardly hugging herself. She's like, what happened? My girlfriend started laughing when that shot popped in. It's really funny. But but Hannah's right. They do leave her. And then there is this, like, it is a very, like, trope of, like, oh, we've gone off to do this. And now you're by yourself. So something fucked up is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. 
I have something to say about this, but I don't know who wants to describe what's happening. Why don't you, if you have okay, something well, to say? Okay, so she's serious D-list friends. Okay, uh, I like the sweater. <laughs> well, okay, fine. I guess I will talk about it then, Chris. <laughs> um, and so, so Maddie is sitting there and she's facing the way it's set up is there is a couch and there's like a kind of like another room beyond the couch. So it's kind of framed in the back bit like that. And uh, oh, here comes Bobbert, fucking <laughs> back there. He's creeping, and she's like, "What am I actually seeing?" And this is an actually very creepy scene. Yeah, in there, and we already know she lightly hallucinates from the last episode when, like, the rug. Oh God, yeah, that's stupid. Like, like someone rug. ran an invisible vacuum over the rug. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it's it's actually from One Eye Jacks. So it's just. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's that one. It's haunted. It's a whole. That was going to be a series three subplot. They never got to. Um, so now she just starts like now she's just like heavily hallucinating, and it's it's Bob, and he's just like, "Wow, I'm going to get you!" and crawls over the couch. I'm not describing it in the way that it like. I'm being funny, but it is. It, it has like. Yeah, it, it has almost like I want to say sleep paralysis vibes to it, where yes. the camera is like yeah. super stationary, and he approaches, and yeah, it's kind of like corny that he because his whole look is like kind of this like corny, gross, angry-looking dude. Um, but like, and he's just sort of slowly approaching, but because yes. it's like so frozen and it's so like yeah. uh, th there's like this sort of awkward inevitableness to it, and. It's another one of Lynch's like long take things where you keep expecting the camera to change and something's going to happen, but it doesn't. You're just like stuck there while this creepy ass dude slowly approaches you and climbs over the couch. And it is it is kind of affecting, even if it does have a very, as mentioned, sort of uh, you know slasher trope feel to it. Yes, definitely. I think it works because you do have like even as cringy as the singing scene is and was like you want to talk about horrifying that's it you know nothing else in the yeah. series is yeah. horrifying is them singing but i do think it's gonna, because you had like that weird awkwardness it makes maddie you know seeing bob so much more effective because it's mm -hmm. like wait where's donna and james Why yeah they like where did it go yeah. yeah right the placement of that dumbass musical number against that happening is powerful so maybe that's a maybe that's a and then Sarah song, not so much. She yeah. saw him like when she was on the couch. I think right very early in season one. Was that it? She saw him. Sarah. Yeah. No, Sarah. Sarah Palmer. Yeah, because she. Yeah, yeah that was the first episode at the yeah. very end. Yeah. So it kind of like almost echoes that because you have like a man in this house, and again, you're supposed to be like safe in your house, right? Yeah. So yeah. the fact that even though it's Maddie, we all know it's being played by. Um, um, I wish oh the visuals, god. like, oh my god, it's like if a podcast could be visual, it'd just be a TV show, but like that cat play. We can take a sorry, my cat, my cat oh, stood up in front of the camera and his head just suddenly appeared massive. <laughs> Aren't we? We're recording this visually too, though, right? Yeah, it gets recorded. The video does. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll have to post that because that's iconic. But anyway, well, to Mikey too. It's like two cats. And well, Mikey's adorable. Tasha's been screaming at me, kind of. On the We're floor. almost done. Um. So of course, Maddie's like, ah, ah. Now, what I want to say, and they're like, what happened? Blah, they come running after her. But what I want to say is, okay, so Sarah sees Bob, 
and that makes sense to me because of reasons. Um, yeah. And just, of reasons that we will what, eventually. I, you, know what, actually, you know what? Actually, I don't know if I can if I can even posit this question without uh, without spoiling anything. So I'm not going. But I want to talk about it. When we're <laughs> 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 oh Yay! Um, the cats are not multiple waiting. cat invasions this episode. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> okay, so they love this shit. <laughs> this does not need any introduction. <laughs> so as this is happening, though, uh, it kind of cuts away, mm-hmm. and and to Coop who's sleeping, and wait a minute. Did I forget something? Where where did okay Donna gets a call from, from Donna Mr. gets Smith. a call. What yeah. where does that happen? Does that happen after the Bob stuff? It happens after Yeah, that yeah. Yes. That okay. Happens. Yes. I, I didn't write it down. Donna gets a call. It's from Mr. Smith. You know it because she's like, Oh, you got my note, blah, blah, blah. Uh it's a one-sided call. You don't hear anything he has to say. And she's just like, sure, I'll meet you or whatever. And and it's it's quick but it's like okay this guy's gonna come into the plot like now so that's she makes up. sure to refer to it as the meals on wheels the meals on so. wheels <laughs> um so now so then we cut to Coop and he's dreaming and he's dreaming about like the same shit like bob laughing in his denim and then his face turns into an owl face in yeah, like a super like, awkward, really awful bad. 90s looking thing. It's, like it's honestly, honestly, it's kind of, it's like Animorphs. It's a little Animorphs looking. Um, it's also kind of, it's also kind of creepier because the effects suck, you know? Like, you know, it probably looks stupider if his head actually transmogrified. So it's just like, it feels almost like an overhead projector shooting an owl picture onto his face. Um. What's funny is he's having all these disturbing dreams, but then he wakes up to the phone ringing and he looks like the most refreshed anyone has ever looked. I'm like, I think he's having these dreams. Dude, you just had three paralysis demons, like sleep paralysis. <laughs> and sitting on and, his actual jet. And remember, in, in Showtime, he's been shot like within the last 36 hours. So. Yeah, yeah. He bounced back quick. Yeah. The, I don't know. <laughs> the Buddhism, I guess. <laughs> That's how he described it in the prior episode. <laughs> um, and and so who has called him but Audrey? And she's like, she like wastes time with like, hey, I saw you on the CCTV and you looked really handsome. It's like, get to your point, you're missing. <laughs> like, stop flirting. For yeah, and of course she she's That's pretty. That's so in character of her to still be flirting while she's about. Yes, to I know, it, but it, it's it frustrating is in character. For me. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's also frustrating because like obviously we know Coop's gonna figure it out, but she doesn't say where she is. She doesn't really say what's going on, and she's operating under the assumption that he's gotten the note from her. Got the note, he has right. not. Um, it's sitting right under his feet as he talks to her, um, and she's just sort of like, "Come get me." It's it's not good. I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. I saw you in your suit. Why didn't you come get me? And then you look like, really hot. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that though. I feel that. He's an Audrey uh, worshipper. I feel that very deeply. <laughs> and to be fair, he did look pretty good in the top. He looked so. good. He looked great. We talked about it. No zero lies detected on yeah. that. Easily his most fuckable of the whole show. Like, I want that pajama set, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. They look comfy. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, look, so she, they look quarantine ready as well. <laughs> so he's just like, oh, tell me where you are, whatever. And 
the phone disconnects because Blackie and like the goons. Yeah. We figured you out, girlfriend. You're in big shit. So what my last note for this is Audrey calls trouble. <laughs> yeah, because she says she says to Coop on the phone, "I'm in trouble." I'm in and trouble. then and then Blackie's like, "Not nearly as much trouble as you're about to be in, or That's something why like I that." Wrote yeah. trouble. Like yeah. not by a long shot. Well, <laughs> 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 poor Blackie, a tragic character. Actually, really? the, the actress that played her recently died. Oh no! I think oh. so. I'll have to look it up, and I'm almost pretty sure. Yeah. That. That yeah, no, I think the... she did. Yeah, that sucks. Ugh. But uh, and that's how the episode ends, which it's funny because we've been counting for a while. Uh, this is yet a, we cannot keep this short. It never happens, and it's fine. I've learned to live with it. Maybe it's not so fine for Matt who edits it, but for me, it's fantastic. <laughs> but um, but I felt like this was like a relatively short seeming episode. Like I was like, oh, holy shit! I agree. But I think it feels that way because a lot happens. There's actually a lot of plot relevant so, stuff to so chew through in this. Yeah. And I do um, think a lot of like, the more iconic scenes from like season two that people think of with Twin Peaks occur in this episode. You know, you in this episode, movie. yeah. Yeah, you have the Alice or not what they seen. You have like Bob going over the sofa again. You Just have, you and I. I see iconic, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I sign. This is Tremont's house. Yeah, um, there's I mean, a lot. With the guy being bound by rope with the <laughs> No one's ever talking about that for some reason. We should bring that into the spotlight. <laughs> we should make that into a thing. I'm gonna I can't um, wait to bring back the meme of Garland Briggs holding the paper. <laughs> I send I send it to you on Facebook. I saw, so. yeah. Um, so yeah, where will it lead us? We'll see when we record next. Who knows when that's gonna be? Well, now that Chris moved, maybe we can go back to like the ever few weeks kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I got nothing going on, so whatever. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, any final thoughts? Matt, producer corner shit, nothing? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, producer corner, really quickly. Um, <laughs> Colin's like, yeah, producer corner? Yeah, no? Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> oh, no, it's, funny it's a good part. I know, we're, we're all ready to go. <laughs> but um, uh, it will surprise you. This uh, The song, called You was written on set. That doesn't surprise me. In the me. moment. <laughs> on <laughs> set? It doesn't surprise me at all, actually. <laughs> in the <laughs> moment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just right before. Um, and um, the actress that died, um, Blackie is listed as still alive. Um, Lauren, she but Galen Gord, who I'm sure I'm not pronouncing <laughs> Galen George. Galen George, um, who I guess played uh, Nancy O'Reilly. Uh, yeah, but anyway, that's the only recent Twin Peaks death I could find. I could have sworn I saw that. That was just in July. Am I dreaming so. about like side characters of Twin Peaks dying and seeing <laughs> it on Twitter? I'm gonna have to look that into that because I don't know. There's a case of something bigger going on. If that's the case. right, uh, <laughs> it's just like waving his hand over you. When yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh God! All right. So anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, so I need it. to hear more about this song being written on set. Yeah, that's I need more information on that. Well, we can. Uh, there is a, a link to an interview from uh, James Marshall talking more about. Excellent. That. Send that. Just oh, what yeah, I want to see more of James's fucking face. Oh. <laughs> right. Hey, you know he's got the bronzer <laughs> and, and he, he had a, a slight hair adjustment. He doesn't look as bad as. <laughs> he's still on the D list. Though. He's a D list. 
Uh, anyway, so I guess that's that. Uh, submit to Drunk Monkeys. That would be great. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on the on the podcast. Thank this you for coming. Cool. I know I loved it. Thank you so much for coming. Do you have anything to like promote besides the book? I, I'll tweet out the book thing. But are you guys open for submissions um, right now? So we actually got Xenomorph opens because our last day, kind of our, on our hiatus, is the tomorrow, the thirty first. So I think we'll be right. open for submissions on the first. So yeah, we've really gone through a lot of our backlog. We still have some submissions to That's go. That's about to appear again. <laughs> okay well i'll send i'll send out links for that too then yeah just uh keep on watching twin peaks or whatever yeah thank you so much for joining us i was so psyched when you said you wanted to do it i was like i love twin peaks i actually have the entire um blu-ray like collection the one that's like in the box and with like laura palmer's face and it actually even has like the little slip of paper with the r so yeah it's like, i think it also has the fire walk with me movie too so it's like pretty solid yeah yeah um i have the two, two blu-ray sets i didn't realize that uh you could remove the back of the first season and there's a, a paper this is fire with me and yeah. beanie actually like ripped it open and found that and fritz was like did you know that was there and i was like no and then the next day she did it again she ate the paper <laughs> So now she's fucking method, possessed, you know? is what we know. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes yeah, sense. She's channeling some coop there. So. It makes sense because she is wild. So, so yeah, anyway, thank you so much for Hannah Cohen. For, um, to, thank you so much to Hannah Cohen for joining us on this episode of Drunk Monkeys. I am uh, law casting. I am Colleen Carney Hepner. I'm Chris Pruitt. And yeah. Hannah Cohen. Bye. Not part of the show. I'm just here. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Gotta You're go back to the in our hearts. Huh? You're part what? of the show in our hearts. Okay. I'm like Carol Smith. I just never leave. So just let me know. Just let me know. Yeah. I will. I will definitely for sure. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, producer Matt here. Uh, after the recording session was over, we continued to talk about what had happened in the episode, uh, uh, specifically a lot of the things about the nature of Bob's appearances uh, over the course of the series, at least up to this point. And then obviously what happens in the future as well. So, um, so since the recording was rolling anyway, um, I figured, you know, with this heavy spoiler warning, only listen to this part if you have already seen uh, the entirety, really, of the Twin Peaks uh, series, um, seasons one, two, and three, because we will be discussing all of that. But uh, I thought we would share this with you with that spoiler warning intact, um, so you can hear all the insightful shit that we said. Okay, thanks. The thing I wanted to talk about that isn't that it was too spoilery was that she wrote okay and I'm like come back she's like okay <laughs> I should have probably told her you to talk for a second before I, you know, but it was, 
you shouldn't come back. Yeah, she's in the weight room. Okay, cool. All right, great. But what I was going to say... Sorry, I wanted to say something before you went. Sorry, I was like, I'm like, I'm so done with thinking about James. I want to leave. <laughs> but I wanted to posit this real quick to you guys. So, so when Sarah sees Bob, it makes sense because Bob Cleveland, right? Yeah. And he is in, they're in her house, right? And then, like, is this like the first vision of Bob that is like besides dreaming, which we know he's like kind of like weird and mystical that way. Is this the first instance of Leland showing up where he's, I mean, where Bob shows up and Leland isn't around? Because they're not at Maddie's place. They're at Donna's place. And, you know, and like, Leland and like at the, at the mm-hmm. inn, you know? But usually Bob is like a conduit for... Yeah. Like, and usually like the Palmer house is like a conduit for it as well. And they're not there. So that it's usually like if Bob is there, thing. Leland is there too. You know what I mean? Or like, I mean, not counting like dream shit because like, yeah, he's like, a, a, but, <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, like, I was just like, is this the only time that happens where he's there? But like Leland isn't? Cause I don't think Leland's just at the Hayward's house. I don't know. It just struck me as kind of bizarre. Like it is bizarre. I, what is the, I mean, I haven't seen this in forever. So what, does Bob take care of Maddie later? Yeah. Is that what happens? He kills her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's really upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very upsetting. It's like one of the most upsetting moments of the show, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just like you get, you get really used to Maddie, but you kind of start seeing her trans because it kind of repeats itself. You see her transformation into basically Laura with dark hair, which for right. the record, yeah. I do think she looks better with dark hair than blonde, but that's just me. Um, no, it's but, you're right. And I think it kind of alludes, like even if it's just quote unquote hallucination, I think because she is related to Laura. She looks like Laura. She's starting to basically transform into Laura. Yeah. Maybe she has like again that weird surreal taking on that role. Like and especially like the a lot of the more abstract stuff in the uh in the return season suggests to me that it's sort of about archetypes and roles in this like sort of struggle. So um to me that fits like retroactively i don't know that i don't know that it makes a ton of sense like if you're watching it week by week as yeah it just struck me as weird like oh it's just a thought it makes sense to me in retrospect but i agree it does seem kind of weird and especially when when we're gonna get the more or less the bob reveal here in a few episodes yeah and it's yeah, gonna seem it's gonna seem kind of confusing at that point i think without I mean, the honestly you think about it protest. being 1991 and like that reveal like that's still really shocking yeah it was pretty shocking yeah well and that, that was why i wanted to like sort of bring some explanation to that scene of leland here because this is the first like i mean we, yeah. we've seen that leland is like has a darkness to him or whatever, especially with mm-hmm. the whole Jacques Renault thing, but it feels like justified in its relationship to yeah. uh, to the, uh, you know, him losing his daughter and this sort of shocking event to the town. And this is the first, like, to me, really clear association of Bob with this sort of, like, symbolic uh, cycle of abuse thing that he sort of gets linked yeah. to. Yeah. Um, this is the first time that that really is, like, on the page in the show, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, because it kind of implied, which I didn't want to say it on the when we were recording, just because I know child abuse and like 
right. stuff like that is really trigger stuff. Yeah, you know, it's kind of hard to talk about. So that's why I didn't want to say it directly. But I think it makes sense when you're talking about cycle of abuse because if you know, because he knew Bob from when he was a child, right. and then obviously, and and that's how he there's comes an implication to me. there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of like it implies that sort of how he becomes the vessel, right? Is like he's inherited that somehow, and right. Um, inherited that pain and is distributing that pain to the like, that's when, when you get into all the season three bullshit of like Garmin Boja and stuff like that like it, it all just sort of becomes terminologies that kind of like fit back into this idea of the cycle of abuse <laughs> and um, yeah so yeah I, I feel like that's the first place it's really clear in the series and what's why it's also kind of wild that it's in that strange little sort of misdirect of a scene like I, yeah. I know the idea is to give you a clue that like later bears fruit but it's also kind of like this is a really big concept being dropped in in a really like toss-off weird way yeah because yeah. otherwise that seems just like Icelandic business so. yeah 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 exactly <laughs> otherwise it's just the like exactly the bullshit nobody cares about in the show you know <laughs> It's also really, really ahead of its time. I mean, I remember, you know, I didn't watch The Return, but I talked with my friend Donald every night, like every week that it aired, he would tell me what happened. And so I feel like, you know, I was shocked that they made it that openly about sexual abuse then. But the fact that this was laid, the groundwork was laid back in 1990 is honestly really shocking yeah. because this is way, way ahead of Yeah, time really ahead of To be talking about that and the cycle of it. And, well, and, and even a man. Can you also confirm, is, is I very, can't remember yeah, whether exactly Dave Lynch was pressured to name, like, because I thought the whole point of the Twin Peaks was like Laura's murder was never supposed to be revealed. Like, is that true or not? Like, I can't. It's sort of true. Like, the, my understanding of it is that like when they started the series, there was not a concrete idea of who the killer right. would be because the point was just to have it be an inroad to the world and that it would sort of matter less and less as you went. Um, yeah. And there was pressure to reveal the killer. I think that like what Frost has said is that uh, the co-writer um, mm -hmm. has said is that by the time season two came around, they were like pretty clear on this idea of Leland sort of being the vessel of this like prior yeah. pain of his. Okay. So like, I, I don't think that it was on their minds to like, uh, to reveal it as quickly as they did at this point. But I think that they okay. were pretty clear that that was the plan. Okay. Cause I was always wondering, cause it kind of like, to me, the whole point of Twin Peaks is like, yeah, her death was like the opening, the conduit to the show and like how there was like other stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But I just never, like, I don't know whether I just made it up in my head or if I just read things here and there that was like, oh, they were pressured by, you know, ABC because the fact that this premiered on freaking ABC, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. And that's kind of like, it's kind of associated with the like really kind of sharp brief downturn in quality that happens in like the back half of season two where like uh you know after they reveal the killer like lynch lost all, well what's that well lynch really yeah 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 no shit um yeah, and that yes that was what i was referring to it's not good but man is it funny to see him in his bad wig on this show um but the uh um it, it kind of seems like after the reveal, Lynch kind of lost interest in, like, it, to him, it's like, well, we just gave away the magic trick, so what the fuck are we doing now? <laughs> you know? Which I disagree with, because there's still so much weird shit in that. Yeah, it, Even with the return, you don't explain, and I felt like they could have literally just kept going. Yeah. You know? I mean, again, I'd rather have a show end short than, like, continue on and on until it becomes, like, 
you know, flanderization and, of itself. Yeah, and it gets it gets back on the rails. I think what happens at the end of season two, and especially what happens with the return season and so forth, it really makes all of the effort worth it. But I, yeah, I, it is I, a slog though. Yeah, it is a slog. In the I mean, Laura Dern's it. worth it. Like, I love Laura Dern's. You, you're about to have a fight with Colleen here. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, yeah, she's. I, I I don't understand. Not a Laura Dern fan. I don't get it. When they revealed her as Diane, I went, "Are you fucking kidding?" Me? Well, then you know, like she's not like really. But Fritz, Fritz was like, "Wait, who was that?" I was like, "Laura Dern," and he laughed. You have never met Fritz, but he laughed so fucking loud, and I was like, "I'm like David Lynch is being mean to me." He's like. <laughs> I'm just not a fan of her. I mean, she's she's good in in this show. Yes, absolutely. She's a good actress, but I I don't understand why people go nuts for her. I've never liked her ever ever. Apparently, during quarantine, um, Lynch and Laura Dern and Kyle MacLachlan have regular Zoom chats. That's God, I would love to be. That's adorable, yeah. isn't it? I would love to be the loud fly on that wall. All right. Well, oh thank you. Thank you again, Hannah. I'm so glad that yeah, you joined this us. This is so much fun, awesome. guys. I love Twin Peaks. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank yeah. You for Seriously, on. come back whenever you want. It's so good. Like, I love it. Yeah. All right, Bye, guys. guys. Bye. Go back. Take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs>